Good afternoon and welcome to the Jason Rancho on AM 770 KTTH. We are streaming on the KTTH smartphone app. If you don't have it, you should download it immediately. After a mass shooting at a hookah lounge in Seattle, the city is finally acting. Only by acting, I mean they're thinking of more government oversight of hookah lounges and they're not doing anything about the crime crisis. And that is what's trending. What's trending? Safety first. This really is remarkable. And I can't say that I expect any better from the city of Seattle, but I I will say I was not expecting this. (laughs) I wasn't expecting a serious response to the mass shooting from a couple weeks ago. I, I truly wasn't. We live in a city that refuses to acknowledge that gangs are even a thing. They won't use the term gang. Seriously, tell me the last time you saw the word gang be used in any kind of communication coming from the mayor or the council, not counting Sarah Nelson, or point me to audio or video in which they utter the word. They won't. But there was the shooting at the hookah lounge, and it was gang-related. And so naturally, the city, according to Como, is looking for more regulatory oversight of hookah lounges. I am not making this up. They say, according to an unnamed official at the Seattle City Attorney's Office, hookah lounges have been a legal gray area and that they have a, quote, significant number of safety issues. Now, some of those safety issues are connected to the fact that they're permitted to allow indoor smoking because apparently that leads to mass shootings, that they don't sell alcohol, but some hookah lounges are open late, even after the bars close. And obviously that means mass shooting. Like all those mass shootings at 7-Elevens. Oh, wait, no. I mean, there are a lot of robberies there, but that's because there's only one person on duty. Never mind, that's a bad example. Oh, you mean there's no connection whatsoever to what they're talking about and the crime that took place? Huh. Now, making it easier to pretend that this is something worth pursuing is the sister of one of the victims. She spoke with Como TV and she says she wants to hold the hookah lounges accountable for a shooting that took place on its premises that led to the death of her sister. This isn't the first time that a hookah bar had a violent situation erupt and there needs to be consequences for the owners of the establishments in which these places take place. So if you're arguing that somehow the owners of this hookah lounge or any business knowingly operated and invited the gangs into their premises and did nothing and it created this due to their negligence, this environment in which shooting happened, okay, we can explore that. But simply saying because it happened there, they should be held responsible is a silly position. And I don't mean to criticize this woman who lost her sister. She's struggling. She gets to react emotionally however she wants, but we don't have to just accept what she's saying is reasonable or logical because this has policy implications. I'm... I'm not interested in dying on a hill for hookah lounge regulatory issues, right? I I just don't care. I, I don't. 
I don't get hookah lounges. I don't I don't get the whole culture around smoking off of a hookah. I just I don't get it because it's 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 not weed. You you are correct. It's not anything special. It's bubblegum flavored. That's okay. I've never been to one. It seems stupid. Yeah, I've never been, I've seen them. I just I just don't understand them. So it's not like this is personal to me. But we're not going to say anything about the gang members involved and maybe how we should go after gangs. Nothing, not even a little bit of a conversation around that. Not a little bit of a conversation around some of the soft on crime policies and laws that have passed. Nothing. Nothing about how we don't have enough officers to even proactively police an area where crime is rampant. Nothing. We're not even going to utter a, a syllable around that. It's absurd to me. It's absolutely absurd. We just ignore these big picture issues in lieu of actually saving people from crime. It happens in many Democrat-run cities, but Seattle, it seems to happen a lot. Uh, we brought, brought to you this story yesterday. I broke this story over the weekend and again yesterday via Twitter that right now there is a rash of targeted armed robberies happening in South Seattle. Now, that part has been reported elsewhere. But we were the only ones to report that there is one specific demographic that's being targeted here, Asians who are elderly. Elderly Asians are being targeted. Now, today, around 3 o'clock, so a little bit over an hour ago, there was a press conference by SPD. And according to our sister station reporter there, James Lynch, he sent me a note. And he said, just FYI, SBD did confirm what it is you reported yesterday. Then I sent a little bit of a passive-aggressive response back. Well, you didn't trust me. Um, But he goes, except they're saying it's not a hate crime. It's not a hate crime that they're targeting elderly Asians. The reason why they're doing it, according to the police, is that they're vulnerable. That's... It's true. They're vulnerable, not because they're Asian. They're vulnerable because they're elderly. If you are black and elderly, white and elderly, Latino and elderly, Native American and elderly, can't tell if you're Asian or Latino elderly, you are also vulnerable. (laughs) It has nothing to do with them being Asian. So for me to believe that this is not considered a quote-unquote hate crime, it's strange credulity, especially because part of the reason why I think this story has been reported the way it's been reported, which ignores the race of the individuals who are the accused armed robbers. They're black. Victims are Asian. We've had many instances back during the time where progressives pretended that they were down with the hashtag stop Asian hate, where black criminals and black homeless people, weirdly enough, were targeting Asian Americans. It was happening with an alarming, at an alarming rate. And it was happening here. It was happening in New York. It was happening in San Francisco. There were a ton of those stories. And it just so happened to occur after the mainstream liberal media picked up on the whole, oh, Donald Trump is saying China virus or Chinese virus. He's blaming China and it's leading to Asians being attacked by MAGA supporters. 
right after they attacked Jesse Smollett, they started to attack all of these Asian people all across the country. Donald Trump's a bigot. He hates Asian people. They were pushing that and pushing that and pushing that. Except when we saw this particular type of crime where it was black on Asian crime, all of a sudden, eh, you know, it's not really racist. Weird. If the three robbers were white guys, it would be a white supremacist attack. It, it would. We can pretend otherwise. The reason why I'm talking about this, we just got video. And it's terrifying. Because it's an elderly man. He's Vietnamese. He's walking to his porch. He was apparently followed by these three armed robbers. They jump the guy. One of them holds a gun towards his face and then tasers this man before robbing him. And it was caught on a ring camera. Come out of all that right now. Everything you got. Come out of everything. That's the taser, which weirdly Maximilian thought was a gunshot. Didn't quite it was. A, there that. was a loud pop. You didn't hear the zzz. I did, but that's not... I was referring to the pop. Okay, I know okay, okay. how tasers work. Do you? Because I feel a bit... I mean, we can... Be born if if we want to do it as a bit, we, we can do that. I don't... I want to do it. If we have to justify it as a bit, oh, fine. Will fine you tase me. me off air instead of on air? Both. Okay. We got to test it first. He's out. He's pe- knocked out. Get the wallet. And it goes on and on and on. Now, this happened over the weekend. And it should terrify the heck out of people that this is happening, Asian or otherwise. If you're older and vulnerable, you stand at high risk, at least in South Seattle, of being a target. And... Based on their voice, based on their size, they look younger. I don't know if they're juveniles per se, but they're clearly not older people. They're not middle uh, age. They're not like some 35, 40, 55-year-old. This is someone who's probably maybe late teens to to mid-20s at the most. Again, we're seeing a rise in juvenile crime and, and crimes by young adults because they know that they can get away with it. They know they can get away with it, and they are targeting folks. And this is a story that should shock everyone and discuss everyone and should be a leading story. And yet for too many news outlets, this is just another day, and it's just a transactional story. Here's a crime that happened. Here's where it happened. Police say this and that, and then they move on without connecting any of the dots. And yet there should be a heck of a lot of dots being connected because also what happened last night in the Lake City neighborhood in Seattle, a city that, again, is under siege with crime, well, they just saw... In Seattle, it's 48th homicide of the year. Now, for some context, last year, at the end of the year, we had 57. We ended at 57, which was one shy of a 26-year high or 25-year high. We're already at 48, and today is, what, the 29th. So we're just about to head into September. And we're already at 48, putting us on a trend to exceed that 25-year record high, which, by the way, broke a year before that, and then it was exceeded again. So maybe at this point it's like a 29-year high. We're clearly going in the wrong direction, but no one wants to say anything. God forbid. God forbid we acknowledge what's going on. 
And it's not just happening in Seattle, as you know. It was a trio of teen carjackers or suspects allegedly crashing a stolen car during a police pursuit in Black Diamond. It happened last night around 1130. The suspects are between the ages of 15 and 17 years old. I know I too was shocked to find out it was a juvenile, in this case three, as part of a car theft. I would never have guessed. And the idea that that a weapon was involved, that's very out of the ordinary. What is this, Detroit? Is this New York? This is Seattle. We don't experience this. This is Black Diamond, man. That's where some people move to get out of Seattle. So last night around 1130, a guy calls 911 reporting that his car was just stolen. He was the victim of a carjacking. He says he was rear-ended by a car with these teens. Someone initially jumps out with a gun. Then they steal his Hyundai Elantra. They didn't need a TikTok video for this. They didn't do it the traditional way. Do we call that the old school way or is the carjacking the old school way? Carjacking, I think, counts as the old school way. Officers ended up spotting the vehicle. There was a short pursuit. Remember, in an armed carjacking that counts as a felony violent crime, which gives police the ability under the revised law to pursue. And sometime later, they ended up getting into some kind of accident. All three of them ended up in the hospital, two at Harborview, one at another. We're waiting to get some more of the details as to their condition and ultimately what they'll be charged with. Something tells me they will have a criminal history and or come from a broken home. Because almost all of them do. Which to me seems to indicate something called a theme, a pattern that could in fact lead us to some possible solutions to the underlying issue of coming from broken homes. And, you know, God forbid we actually say it's important to have two parents in a household. You're stigmatizing single parents. I'm not stigmatizing single parents. There are amazing single parents. And not all single parents end up with children who end up committing crimes. But there is, to use a favorite term on the left, a disproportionate number of single-parent households with children who turn towards crime, sometimes due to neglect, sometimes due to just not having usually a father figure. We're talking about boys in particular. That's what the data suggests. And not even suggests, that's what the data says. And this is not new data. (laughs) This is not like a new phenomenon we just figured out. This has been a truth for decades And we've known about it for decades. But no one wants to say anything because, unfortunately, also using the favorite term on the left, there's a disproportionate number of black households that are fatherless. And thus, the second that you even have a conversation about this or point out what I just pointed out, it immediately becomes a race issue in the sense that, oh, you're just attacking black families. What? No. How is this an attack? We want to reverse that trend. Isn't that a positive? Well, that's, you know, it's a heteronormative, patriarchal, white supremacist claim. No, it really isn't. But kudos for trying. I will give you that. Good on you for working in patriarchal and white supremacist 
and heteronormative. Like those are three progressive buzzwords all to put into one argument, one retort. I think that that's pretty imp- – I impress myself. Pretty solid Scrabble score with those words too. I mean, can you do heteronormative? That would be hard to get. Like that's – I mean, you'd have to have that's some a, tiles a, on the board already. Yeah, you'd have to be very creative. And if you already have normative up there and you just put hetero in front of it, you don't get that many. Seems like points. cheating. That's kind of cheating. It's like when you just add a Y or an S to the end of a word. It's like zoo. Oh, zoos. Oh, wow. And then you get extra points. That's cheating with the Z. You shouldn't get to do that. Well, you can't make up words. There's zoos. Zai. Oh, excuse me. Zui. So we know what's going on. We know what the issue is. No one wants to say anything. God forbid we do. And by the way, God forbid the media start pursuing some politicians and saying, hey, you're, you're in a position of power. What is it that you're doing to help the situation? Do you plan on doing anything? Or do you want to continue to pretend like the status quo is okay? Because it's not as bad as it was in the 80s. I swear, if I hear another argument like that, I'm going to strangle someone, and it's going to be Max. Only because he's the one who's nearest to me, or whoever else is in that studio. There's nobody over here. Who were you talking to? Isaiah popped his head in. See? He could have gotten in the way of my strangling, because I'm so upset with this lame talking point. Well, you know, it's not as bad as it was in the 80s. And... You do realize it's 2023. Uh, we're far gone from the 80s. What I'm looking at is the data suggesting we're headed back towards the 80s, and I would like to get in the way before we continue to spiral out of control. I'd like to go back to where things were in, like, 2018. That's not that far away. You remember 2018. Sure, things weren't perfect, but definitely better than the way they are now. Ugh, let's find out what else is trending. What's trending? Legal. Not long ago, we brought you the case of an individual who worked for the city of Seattle who felt it was a hostile work environment, essentially to be constantly called a racist simply because he's white. There has been a pretty significant change in the case, a positive development. Joining me on the line is Pacific Legal Foundation attorney Laura D'Augustino. Thank you so much for coming back. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be on your show today. So you represent Joshua Dimert. If you could just give us the quick reminder, refresher on the case. Absolutely. So as your audience may remember, Mr. Dimert uh, was a former city of Seattle employee. And during his time uh, working for the city, he was confronted with one of the most hostile work environments I've ever encountered. Uh, everything from uh, racially mandated training to uh, racial slurs and just being belittled every day and being denied opportunities solely because of the color of his skin. And so when Joshua approached us, he also uh, provided us with um, extensive details about everything that he went through. And so we filed a complaint in federal court in Washington state um, bringing claims under Title VII, the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution, as well as the uh, Washington statute that enforces the same rights as Title VII. And so um, the case had pretty much been pending for the past couple of months because mm-hmm. the city filed a motion to dismiss our complaint. So we were we were waiting for a decision, and we received one uh, yesterday evening. And this was a positive decision because they tried to get this dismissed, it sounds like, on two different – with two different arguments. One was rejected. 
Correct. So essentially what the city was arguing was you all haven't presented enough facts for the claims you're bringing. Uh, there's not enough there. And all you're complaining about is diversity training. That's how they try to characterize this case. And also they tried to say, by the way, some of your claims are outside of the required time frame that you can even bring this stuff up. But uh, the city uh really took the the government sorry the the court really took the time to not only read our complaint and to see all of the facts that Mr. Dimer brought up but it it rejected the city's attempt to characterize the complaint into something it wasn't um and the court did enter a partial dismissal at least with respect they're saying you know if there are any claims that you base it on these facts that are outside of the time frame. Those are dismissed, but otherwise your claims can proceed. And, uh, you know, Mr. Dimer at this time can go ahead and see his day in court. Were you, so in fact, uh, alleging anything that occurred outside of the, the timeline they reference? So there, it, there are specific deadlines for some of the claims that we brought up, but some of the facts that we alleged that were outside of that time frame, they're alleged because as part of the racially hostile work environment, you can bring up facts that occurred uh, years ago to show that mm-hmm. continuing trend of hostility. So it, it's very, it gets very into the weeds in terms of saying, okay, which facts apply to which claims. But to the extent that we brought up claims that occurred years ago, it's to show progression of that hostility that began from the moment he walked through those doors. Were you surprised at all by the court's decision? We're at least here, we're uh, a little cynical and we always assume the, the, the wise cases get dismissed. It, truthfully, given all of the, uh, uh, just by virtue of our work, we're often in jurisdictions that are hostile to the claims we're bringing for liberty and for equal protection, but this was a very pleasant and welcome order, and we're very excited, and we we hope that this is something that sets a positive uh, precedent across the country for other employees who may be facing similar cases, and that they can know their claims are not going to be dismissed just because a city or a government says, hey, we're doing this because of training. And the court wisely saw that that was not what was going on here, that there is much more to what the city is trying to claim here. Well, usually at this point, then the city would come forward and offer a settlement. Is this something that your client will contemplate or is this something that he wants to take all the way? Well, uh, I can't speak for Mr. Dimer right now, but uh, based on our past discussions, our intent is to proceed with the um, the scheduled trial date. Uh, there is one scheduled next year, and we want to take a stand for these important Title VII and constitutional principles um, because Mr. Dimer wants other he wants to vindicate his rights, and he wants to be a voice for other people who maybe finding themselves in in a similar situation. I I wish you guys the best of luck. When I saw this news, I was delighted, pleasantly surprised. And uh, I only hope you keep getting results. Again, we've been talking with Pacific Legal Foundation attorney Laura D'Agostino. If you want to learn more about Pacific Legal Foundation, definitely check them out. I think this is one of those 
organizations that doesn't get nearly enough credit for the work that they're doing. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your show. Thank you very much. You are listening to The Jason Rand Show. Send me a text, 1-800-465-8770. When we come back, we dive into the big local. Sammamish, Kent, Olympia, Everett. This is The Big Local on The Jason Ranch Show. Centralia, Lakewood. Stories about you, not about Seattle. Hey, look at that, 4.30 on a weekday afternoon. That means it's time for The Big Local. Brought to you by Alpine Specialty Services, online at alpineclean.com. This is the part of the show where we completely ignore the stories coming out of Seattle and instead focus all of our attention on the communities you live in and care about most. We start in Tacoma with a bit of an update. Those two teenagers, turns out they're cousins, both 15 years old, who are accused in the shooting last week that almost killed a Tacoma detective, which, by the way, I'm told via a source that this was very clearly targeted. They meant, or he, one of them meant to shoot the cop. That's what I'm told. They were in court yesterday. And they had some defense from their parents, or at least the adults in their lives. Just to give you a brief refresher, Tacoma PD, they were doing an emphasis patrol, a project. They were actually going after stolen vehicles. A sergeant with the Tacoma PD saw a Hyundai starting to uh, leave the area at a high rate of speed. Now, these are cars that are frequently stolen. It just so happens they were doing a stolen vehicle recovery uh, attempt here. So, like, that seems kind of suspicious, so the sergeant radios it in. Turns out the car was indeed stolen. I know, I know, I am shocked. A nearby detective spotted the car, turned on his emergency lights. The teens allegedly then get out of the car. They start to flee. The detective says at one point, one of the teens approaches him. He said, don't you shoot me. And they were all like, I'm going to shoot you. I made up the dialogue, but that's kind of how it went. This according to police. So he ends up getting shot. Now we're learning that while police were searching for the teens, the shooter, the suspected shooter, called his dad and was all like, hey, can I get a ride? I uh, just maybe I'm not committing to anything in particular because this could be an accusation. I might have shot a cop. Uh, could you send me my, my Uber? I got banned because I don't have a high enough rating. Could you give me a call and then pick me up? I'll, I'll, no, actually, you don't have the call. Let me just pin you my location. I mean, some of that is accurate according to uh, the investigator. Sounds close enough. I mean, the part where he calls his father and then drops a pin and says, here's my location. That part has been uh, reported by the prosecutor. We fi also find out, and I think that this is a good response, the father is the one who contacted police. That's a healthy response when you believe your kid is uh, even just potentially tied to a crime. So teens go to court yesterday. And the part that I don't like because I think it's the same father. But the father had just a little bit of a, a request, we'll say, of the court. This is a child we're dealing with. 
despite whatever mistakes he's being accused of. And uh, I want everybody to consider that. I want everybody to hyper-focus on that fact. Here's what's something that I want you to consider and be hyper-focused on. That officer was, in, was within a few inches of a bullet killing them. Doesn't matter if the person who pulled the trigger was 15 years old or 51 years old. Doesn't matter. The damage is all the same. The bullet doesn't change its trajectory or speed on the basis of the age of the person who pulls the trigger. Allegedly. Now, age, by the way, in Washington State is already a factor. Judges have to consider that. It's mandated. So that's already a part of this. Now, another parent said at this hearing yesterday, my son doesn't get in trouble and I would appreciate it if he could go home. Oh, is that so? You would appreciate it. Well, I would appreciate it if you had a better understanding of what it is your kid gets up to. Why was your kid in a stolen vehicle? Now, they're cousins. Is it possible that assuming one of them is in fact, because these are all accusations, even though it certainly doesn't look good. Is it possible that one of the cousins sort of bullied the other cousin into joining? Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll go with that. And if you have proof of that, I hope it gets outed because I don't want an innocent kid to be caught up in anything more than he already is caught up in. But they were in a stolen vehicle. And the gun was fired. And it did almost kill a cop. And I really don't care what you would appreciate. I would appreciate it if you were up until this point a better better parent. Sorry to be harsh. Because, look, I, I don't know whether or not any of these parents are good or bad. I have no clue. I am assuming that they at least want to be good. But it hasn't worked out up until this point if the allegations are true and the kids are dangerous. Here's one of the parents after the hearing. Roll needs to know that he's not a threat to nobody. Never. Never would he hurt anybody. I mean, except for in this one instance in which a cop almost died allegedly. But, but I mean, other than that, totally great kid. And the one thing we know about people accused of nearly murdering a cop, it's always their first crime. Otherwise, they're almost, all the data suggests they're perfect A students, 4.0, 4, actually some of them get even 4.3. And you're like, how do you get more AP classes? Because some of them still exist despite them being white supremacist culture. So, you know, just, just saying. So the, thankfully, the Pierce County Prosecuting Attorney's Office was like, yeah, no, they're clearly a danger. This is a felony charge of unlawful possession of a stolen vehicle. As alleged in the facts, he was dragging that stolen vehicle and such a reckless manner, he almost struck a woman in the street, then fled police with the correspondent who was alleged to have shot the police officer. But other than that, they're amazing kids who are totally responsible and not at all a threat to the community. There's, there's some parent right now saying, man, why couldn't we get that soft on crime judge from Thurston County? Arr! So as this proceeds, we will certainly give you an update. Meanwhile, Snohomish County Sheriff Adam Fortney is running for re-election. This is the easiest of easy picks for anyone. If I was a Snohomish County resident and I could vote, I would vote for Adam Fortney at least 14 times. At least. That's how committed I am to him. And I think anyone who lives in Snohomish County and has even a casual relationship with news and 
crime issues in Snohomish County, the county is safer as a result of Adam Fortney. But just to make it more obvious as to why Fortney is the right choice, understand that his opponent, Susanna Johnson, she is being flushed with campaign funds coming from pretty extreme Democrats, including every county council Democrat, including Molotov Megan Dunn. Remember her. Did that story. She posted an image of a Molotov cocktail being thrown. This was right in the middle of all of the BLM riots. She was glorifying Molotov cocktail attacks. It was rather disgusting. You wouldn't think that she'd be a fan of law enforcement, and yet she seems to be a fan of Susanna Johnson. There's a former sheriff who's endorsing her. She's He is quoted in the Everett Herald as saying, and it's about damn time we got a woman sheriff. Oh, okay, thanks. I, I would prefer the sheriff who's the most competent and has the best ideas and will actually keep people safe, but you, you do you. Pro-Choice Washington and the Alliance for Gun Responsibility are funding Johnson. And of course, as we read the story from the Everett Herald, it is so slanted against Adam Fortney, it is almost at parody levels. All of that should be reason enough to just support Adam Fortney. But for those of you who live in Snohomish County, please let this be a reminder not to take Fortney for granted, not to take the situation you're in for granted. There are a lot of people who are going to vote for someone because she is, in fact, a woman. It's about time we had our first woman, our first lady sheriff. They think that somehow that that's important. Okay, again, prefer the person who's best suited for the job. And that's very clearly Adam Fortney. So make sure you vote. Don't vote 14 times because you'll get caught. Leave that up to the pros. And the dead relatives who somehow managed to vote. I'm kidding. Don't give me that look, Maximilian. Don't give me that look. You're doing the encouraging illegal activity. No, I said indirectly. don't do it. No, not indirect. But- I said don't do it. Let me do I mean, I said just don't do it. That's all I said. Stop trying to get me in trouble. Such a jerk. I'm going to get him in trouble. I'm going to tell. God, such a narc. 1-800-465-8770 if you want to send me a text. In fact, you should because you get to pick the next news story. Story number one, a White House reporter asks if the racist mass shooting in Florida was somehow connected to Ron DeSantis and black history changes in AP courses. Oh, my God. Yeah, you can't really make that one up. Or story number two, the Biden alcohol czar says the U.S. might follow Canada and limit beers to twice a week. And the White House press secretary is like, what are you talking about? That's not true. 1-800-465-8770. You tell me which story you want us to cover. And that's what we'll do when we come back. the topic on the Jason Rand Show. Indeed you do, and you're a bunch of alcoholics because you want to talk about the Biden alcohol czar, which we have for some reason. <laughs> I, did, I did not realize we have a booze czar, but he said we might soon be told that we shouldn't consume more than two beers in a single week. And lots of folks are all like, yeah, no. 
director of the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, the NIAAA, also known as Nyaaaa. His name is George Koob. He told the Daily Mail that the United States might end up following Canada's guidance around alcohol use. Right now, the American guidelines say men should limit themselves to two drinks per day while women should only have one. Because there are differences between men and women. Just FYI. <gasps> Just throwing that out there. Currently, American guidelines are a little out of step with what Canadians want. The Canadians are all like, hey, we only want two drinks per week because we're lightweights. And we don't like it that the Americans are looking so much tougher than we can handle our booze, but only if it's separated by like five days in between. Now, the American recommendations are up for review in 2025. So during this interview, Koob, who said, he, and this is how you know, this is the person you don't want to weigh in on any of this. He said he partakes of a couple of glasses of buttery Californian Chardonnay a week. Oh, my God. Okay. Oh well, my let's God. calm down. Oh, my God. He said he was watching the Canadian experiment with interest. Quote, if there's health benefits, I think people will start to reevaluate where we're at. He said that there are no benefits to physical health from drinking alcohol and that he was pretty sure American alcohol consumption recommendations are not going to go up. So if alcohol consumption guidelines go in any direction, it would be toward Canada. Most of the benefits people attribute to alcohol we feel they really have more to do with what someone's eating rather than what they're drinking. Despite all of the data, by the way, on wine and tannins. I guess it's not a buttery Californian Chardonnay. He says, so it really has to do with the Mediterranean diet, socioeconomic status. That makes you able to afford that kind of diet and make your own fresh food and so forth. With this in mind, most of the benefits kind of disappear on the health side. I don't know what he's talking about. He said alcohol had social benefits like being a social lubricant, which one would weirdly not – I would not think someone who's a medical professional would call that a benefit. <laughs> you mean you're loose? I that Yeah. Oh, okay. Technical term. Great. So Peter Ducey over at Fox News, he's the White House reporter, he asked Karine Jean-Pierre about this. And she responds the way she normally does, which is, number one – she doesn't know what he's talking about because I guess it wasn't in her, her folder, her binder. And then says she's not going to get into it, which is the answer she gives on literally everything, unless it is part of some PR campaign by the Biden administration. Uh, Kareen, can you tell me, are you the White House press secretary? Look, I'm not going to get into that right now. Uh, that, that's for my bosses to answer, and you're, you're welcome to reach out to them. Oh, Okay. So here's how that went. Does President Biden want to limit Americans to two beers a week? I, I, where is this coming from? What, what is happening? What is going on here? Like, oh, the interview that part of this administration gave to the Daily Mail, and it was actually being picked up by media outlets all across the country for the last several days, but I just didn't bother to look up into my research what was going on. Is that what you're talking about? Maybe I did Maybe I didn't miss you so much. Oh, where, is this, where is this coming oh, from? All right, well... <laughs> Uh, Sounds drunk. Dr. George Koob, who is the uh, director of the National Institute of 
She's the most useless and incompetent communications director or person, not just as a White House press secretary, just in the history of all communications professionals. She's the worst. I'm convinced of this. And I know some truly awful spokespeople. She's the worst. Even worse than people in Clark County? She is the worst. Clark County, they're difficult to work with. They're court, superior court. I'm not going to condemn everyone in Clark County. Just the superior court, their pains in the backside. She is utterly useless. What is the point of these press avails? Seriously, during the Biden or during the, the Trump White House, they got rid of them towards the end of the term, like the last two years. The, the formal White House avails like this. Obviously, the president spoke to the press all the time, unlike this current president. But my God, that was just totally useless. And I say this as someone who doesn't even like beer. You're, you're, if I have one beer in a year, I will have surprised myself. I really just don't like it. Although I'm going to the Mariners game tonight, and it's I'm going to be in the suite, which means I'll get, I'm assuming, booze. And I don't drive. I take King County Metro, so I'll probably get accosted on the bus while drunk off of buttery Californian Chardonnay. Let me ask someone if they serve that. I'm going to get punched there. So Jason Rancho.